I am so aware and have always been aware as to what my strengths are and what my weaknesses are. And my father, being an entrepreneur his entire adult life, taught me you have to know what you're good at and you have to know what you're not good at. And if you want to obviously get better at whatever you don't feel you're strong in, great, but you can't be amazing at everything. Welcome back to another episode of Influencer Business. I'm your host, Rich Kudalari. We hope you're staying safe. We hope you're doing as well as possible. We certainly are excited to have you with us here today because we have an amazing episode lined up for you. I've been looking forward to this episode for a long time. Uh, It was recorded back in May, but not only because I'm being joined by my wife and co-founder, Mary Orton, but because together we're going to sit down and chat with our friends, Rachel Zoe and Roger Berman, the dynamic husband and wife team behind a number of businesses. You probably know Rachel and Roger from any number of their amazing ventures, whether it's her eponymous brand, the Rachel Zoe collection, the subscription box business that they have, Box of Style, their media company, the Zoe Report, or their TV reality show, The Rachel Zoe Project. They're an incredible couple who's built a number of great businesses. Rachel is a world-renowned stylist, designer, and entrepreneur. Roger's an incredible businessman, entrepreneur, and investor. We've gotten to know them very well over the past several years and have always been very impressed by their work ethic, business savvy, and genuine down-to-earth, warm personalities. They are great business people, yes, but above all, they are great people. So we're thrilled to have them today on the podcast with us. And this episode is just chock full of amazing takeaways from a couple who've seen it all and done it all over the past 30 years and they're going to share it with us today, whether it's personal stories from when they first met or their take on the differences between building a brand and a following or sharing their secrets on what got them where they are today. They always have some amazing advice built on real world experience. And even now, after years of success, they're still grinding like they're in their 20s. And even better, they love what they do. And on top of all of that, you'll get to hear from their children today. Both Skylar and Caius, their two boys, stopped by to say hi while we were recording, which is always a treat. But first, before we get to our interview with Rachel and Roger, this episode is brought to you by our partner, ShopStyle Collective. If you're an influencer, you need to check them out. You can earn more with ShopStyle Collective, the most transparent influencer network in the business. Their easy-to-use platform powers your passion, giving you access to over 1,600 supported brands and retailers, sponsored campaign opportunities, actionable data insights, and tools that help you succeed. With their cost per acquisition, their CPA structure, you earn a percentage of every sale that you drive. ShopStyle Collective offers a higher revenue share than any other platform and their transparent analytics allow you to know your earning potential upfront so you can make the right decisions for your content and your business. They also have tools for every platform, your blog, Pinterest, Instagram, YouTube, all of them. So start monetizing your content today. Apply now at shopstylecollective.com. And if you're a brand or an agency, visit connect.shopstylecollective.com to learn more about how ShopStyle Collective can help your business by driving scale as your full-service influencer marketing partner. ShopStyle's been a great partner for us. We love them. Definitely go check them out. And if you like what you hear on the podcast, go leave us that five-star rating. Give us that glowing review. We really do appreciate it, and it certainly does help. But with that out of the way, we're super excited to welcome Rachel and Roger to the Influencer Business Podcast. Rachel and Roger, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us, guys. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Absolutely. So before we get into all of the business stuff and whatnot, give us a little background on where you're from and how you guys actually met. Ooh. So I am from a suburb outside Manhattan in New Jersey called Short Hills. We used to call it Short Thrills. Um, (laughs) People in LA are like, what is that? And I'm basically like, take Brentwood and put it in New Jersey. And that's where I grew up with definitely not as good of weather for sure. 
But, you know, my parents were such New Yorkers in their minds that like, it's very strange. I left Short Hills when I was 17. I don't think I've been back since. And my parents moved to the city and it was almost as if it was this like blip. And um, because they were always pulling us to the city for culture and museums and ballets and this and that. And, you know, I think they were determined to sort of like really beat culture into my sister and I. And um, anyway, so that's where I'm from. And then we, I went to college at George Washington University, um, which is where I met Roger. He was getting his MBA. He went to GW, George Washington undergrad and grad school, getting his MBA in finance. And then, so while he was doing that, that's where we met. I got a job as a hostess one summer at a restaurant called Mona Lisa, Leonardo da Vinci in the Harbor. And Roger was a waiter in Washington, DC. And he was a waiter at that restaurant. And this is how long ago it was. He actually said to me, and I thought he was really cute. He said to me, give me all the good tables. And I said, well, how do you know? He said, if they're holding a cell phone, it means they have money and they'll probably give good tips. So seat them in my section. Oh, that's, that's incredible. How long ago this was. And cell phones, you guys were like, literally like 10 by 10. <laughs> they were heavy and big. They had bags for them. They had like bags for cell phones. And that was 29 years ago. Almost. So there you go. That's And then we we stayed in D.C. till I finished college and he finished getting his MBA. And then we moved to the city together. And he became in New York City. I say the city as if it's the only one in the world. But to New York City. And that's when we started our careers. And he became an investment banker and I went into fashion and blah, blah. Wow. So you guys actually moved to the city together. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm also from the East Coast, also a suburb of New York City called New City, New York, Rockland County, a little more rustic. A little, a little not as uh, highfalutin as Short Hills. So I always joke, I literally didn't know anything about clothing or brands. He was wearing rugby. Literally nothing until Rachel corrupted me. And I went to George Washington University and met all these people from Long Island. I was like, what? Nike, huh? What? I, I didn't even care. I was a poor country folk. You were nice. <laughs> nice try. But yeah, it was it was a, it was definitely different. I just also I think our parents were just different to be honest. You know, his parents were just a little bit more old school in thinking and much more conservative and my parents are basically like live every day like it's your last. You've met my parents. So Oh my god, yes. We we have of course had the luck of spending time with your parents and your mom of course is the chicest woman on the planet. So the apple certainly did not fall far from the tree on that oh score. God. And for the for the people listening just so they understand Rachel's mom, we refer to her as the Jewish Elizabeth Taylor. Yes. Picture her walking around fully made up carrying a Maltese. Wearing jewels and like sleeps till noon and like plays bridge till <laughs> She plays bridge with her friends till three in the morning. Before bridge came, she was at lunch for three. You know, I mean, she she's, yes. And, and we had she had my white. She had our white Maltese that we left behind with her when we moved to LA. So she even had the dog that she gave bottled water, and you know, so it was like a. She hole. used to carry around. <laughs> ice. She used to carry water with ice cubes in it, just in case the dog want. You know, of course, the dog wants cold water, Roger. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. So two questions on that. We got, I can't leave this you know, avenue of the conversation without asking. One, Roger, what was the first interaction like with her mother? And two, Rachel, how scared were you to introduce Roger to your mother? Well, it's actually a great story, the first interaction with them. Uh, well, no. no. We have second. two for 
you know, if you want, and we could obviously, this could give, you know, this, we could talk about, our, we, we could talk about our life for like, no, there's two actual first interactions. Yes. The first interaction where I met the mother, we remember distinctly where we were in Washington, D.C. We went to Beach A, Beach a, a restaurant, Beach A in Washington, D.C., and it was for Mother's Day. No, I, can't, no. I honestly can't remember. My parents well, came out to visit. Yeah, our parents were visiting for some, and you school. know, school weekend or whatever. And it was like, you know, we were dating. And okay, come meet the parents. So yeah, so we the first time I met Leslie. Rachel Leslie, Rachel's mom, her name is Leslie, um, was at BJ. And me being, I mean, come on, I, <laughs> I'm not, not, I'm not, not smart. I, <laughs> I of course. Bought flowers for her mother. Oh, smart! I didn't smart. even know actually. He just—he actually just showed up with them. I showed up and said, "Such a pleasure meeting you. I—I I want you know, bring, bring you flowers." So when you and when my you, mom was like, "When you start your intro like that, <laughs> things go much better." Just absolutely. But you asked my mother the thing she would remember besides the flowers was, and still currently, if I look down, yes, yeah, still going. His knee was shaking the entire time. His leg, he has a shake. You know, you've sat with Rod for many times. He shakes his leg just constantly in motion. So the dinner table was like trembling. <laughs> My mother was like, is he okay? Like, but she just adored him. I was not nervous to bring him because he was so, he was so sweet. He was like the first like nice good guy that I dated because I dated a really long string of really not nice guys for a long time. And so this time I was like, look, mom and dad, like, I'm you're like, I did it. I did it, guys. Look, <laughs> look, he's nice. <laughs> no, no, I was not nervous. I think he was very nervous. He was very nervous. But then the punchline is, in the second meeting, when he came home, he went home for Thanksgiving. You know how you always go home for Thanksgiving in college and it's like a thing? So he came home and we, of course, like any suburban couple, you go to Manhattan and you go out and you go to the club or the bar. And to make a very long story, long night short, um, I mouthed off to a guy. At the Roxy. At the Roxy that was being a complete jerk to your friend, right? My to friend Harley. Harley. So he, he told off his friend. A guy was hitting on my friend's wife girlfriend, girlfriend at the time girlfriend. who's now his wife robin so the four of us were at the bar and scott and roger i'm said talking to me, i'm talking to someone completely different and then i hear in the background rachel's next to me shooting she, my mouth off she's screaming at some guy like over there How dare you like, so i literally turn around and all of a sudden this, the guy punches me in the face <laughs> <laughs> so i walked away and i'm like and take that and I walk away and I turn around and I swear to God, you guys, Roger was on the ground. I was dead. I mean, I didn't even say a <laughs> word to this guy. So the guy punched me because of her. And then, of course, long story short is- He got carried out. Long story short, no, I got back up and then I clocked him and then the bouncers came in and I literally, you know, they always say that stories, like you ever see the stories in the movies where like the guy gets thrown out of the club? Yeah. They literally <laughs> took me down two flights of stairs by all fours and went, one, two- and literally threw me out of the club, just like we see in the so movies. So long story short, you guys, is the next morning at breakfast at my kitchen table, he had a fat lip and it was like not a great second meeting, but you know. <laughs> Does your boyfriend get into fights in New York City? And you City? understand, the funny thing about Roger, you guys, is like- It was the only never, fight I've ever been in. Never, Roger's the most- And I had nothing to do with it. 
He's the, he's the one that freaked up fights. Like, everyone chill. We'll like yeah. Yeah. So anyway, moral of the story, that, that, that was our kind of earliest day. Those are our early days. <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. Uh, well, you know, hopefully the ca- the flowers carried you through to the second, you know, and she remembered that. And yeah. yeah. It was all good. Yeah. My mom, you guys, also was like an activist and like protested and she went to Berkeley and like, so my mom is not like a, her fancy self now. She was probably always fancy, but like, you know, she didn't have money to be fancy. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. but she was always, my mom is very strong-willed, very strong-minded and very politically active and very like, so my mom is definitely not like a delicate flower where she'd be like, oh my God, Roger. She'd be like, glad you stuck up. Yeah. You know what I mean? So she's definitely not soft. Let's put it that way. Yeah. That's cool. That is really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I want to talk to about both of your paths, um, but maybe Rachel, we'll start with you. So you moved from George Washington yep. into the city, New York. Yep. Tell us a little bit about your path, because it's not really a traditional path. Not at all. I have this sort of thing that I live by in my life, which is that you can't over plan your life. And I definitely did not, as much as I fear the unknown, that was something at that age that I really couldn't plan because I was a sociology, psychology major. And very admittedly, I really hated being a student, unlike the two of you. So I really was so ready to like work and be excited about going to work and make my own money and be independent. And I was so ready for that. And to be totally honest, I was ready before I went to college, but then I was just very anxious to do so. So when I thought I was going to be a psychiatrist, I didn't realize that involved more school after school. So then I said, no, not going this way. And I love fashion. It was something that I really was honestly, just born with, like just the love of everything beautiful. And it was something that I don't want to sound like sappy that it inspired my life, but I was drawn to it. So, you know, my dad would always say, if you went to, you know, a five and dime store, you could find the thing that was a dollar without knowing how much it cost. It was like a thing that I could, I just loved beautiful things, no matter what it was. And I was fascinated by it and I wanted to be a part of it. And then I believe that when I was very like young, like tween teen, that was when it was funny. It was almost like I skipped the teen magazines and fell in love with Vogue and, and the sort of bizarre and just obsessed with that. And I'm trying to understand how they made those images of, you know, photo shoots and things like that. So long story short is I, I got a job through a friend of a friend. I did not study fashion. You know, my mom said, she was telling me last night, reminding me that I did ask her to go to FIT, but they were really determined for me to have a liberal arts degree. And then after that, if I wanted to, I could do more specializing that in school. But long story short is I got a job through a friend of a friend, sister, like one of those. And I got an interview at a fashion magazine, um, a teen one called uh, YM magazine, which was basically like 17. You used to or the young miss. Young miss and young and modern. And then they changed it to young and modern when young miss was was outdated. But through that, I basically climbed very quickly through that. And I was there for about two and a half years. I worked my, honestly, like, you know, I worked harder than anybody else. I really did because I, I loved it that much, you know, and I really wanted to be the best at it. What was your job there, Rachel? My job, I'm sorry, I was a fashion assistant. I think at the time they hired me because they were excited that I was college educated. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't just like coming in like, I like clothes, but like, I know, you know, I I know how to be responsible for myself and I know how to do this kind of, and I was paid pretty much nothing. I mean, really nothing like, you know, 
making $75 a day, three days a week. I think, yep. I think then yep. full time. Yep. And I'm, you know, I always tell so you people. Actually, it was like an, it wasn't, it was like a full time. Time. it wasn't a full time job for at first. It was three days a week. And for anyone listening who is at all versed in the fashion world, especially in that, in those days, fashion editors, because it was the most coveted dream job, you basically got paid nothing because if you didn't want to take it, there was a million girls lined up for that job, you know? So I basically was hired to work three days a week. I probably worked six, you know, I didn't care at all. I, my dad called me. I remember on the very first day and was like, tell me everything. How'd you like? And I was like, I can't talk, but I swear to God that I do this for free and I want to do it forever. You know, and I hung up the phone and, you know, from that point on, listen, there True was story. many jobs I did for free and there was many jobs I definitely didn't do for free. The truth is the ones I did for free were probably some of the ones I love the most. But, you know, ultimately I climbed my way up there and I left because one of the senior editors had hired me to work on a freelance job with her, which happened to have been Hit Me Baby One More Time video with Britney Spears. And I just loved it so much and working on the magnitude of these like massive projects that were like, it was like being part of, of, of just this like piece of history all the time. And long story short, very shortly after that, I left to go freelance when I was 25 and I made a lot of connections with like publicists and managers. And I ended up working with Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, Enrique Iglesias, Enrique Iglesias for seven years, Jessica Simpson. I mean, my life was filled with pop stars for the, for that next probably five to six, seven years. And when I say work 24 seven, it was like, I mean, I had, when I say zero life, I mean, I was living out of a suitcase. I was on a plane every day and it was an insane life. I was paid absolutely insane money to a point where I would say to Roger, like, this isn't right. You know, this isn't right. Like teachers, doctors, so, you know, social workers, this, we are, it's not, there's a huge imbalance in the system right now, in my opinion. But the reality of it is because the music industry was generating so much money, they put so much money behind it and into the image making and the music videos and things like that. But it was incredible. And honestly, the best boot camp I can ever imagine. And then moved to LA and basically switched from music industry into red carpet. And, you know, also during that whole time I was working in fashion because that was always my favorite, you know, like mm -hmm. working with like Peter Lindbergh. I was a consulting editor for Harper's Bazaar and did their covers for a while and worked a lot with Peter Lindbergh. I worked with Stephen Klein and worked, you know, so there was a lot of things I was doing simultaneously, but then ultimately landed in LA. And to be honest, in my opinion, that's where like my real career happened because I loved it so much. I really did. But I, don't, I have no regrets because, you know, I think giving up the back half of my twenties and early thirties for those experiences to me, I don't think I could imagine it another way, you know? Mm -hmm. Can you talk actually a little bit? And I remember talking to your dad about this, who was so cute. Cause I was, I was asking him, what was it like when Rachel told you those first times, those first jobs, like, Oh yeah, dad, I'm going to go like style a music video yeah. or, and I'm now going freelance. You know, what was that like hearing that? Especially because a lot of those jobs didn't really exist. No, and didn't. so our audience, you know, is mostly influencers. And I think that everybody can relate in some extent to those conversations with families, especially if family members have traditional career paths and you're like, Hey dad, yeah, some brands, 
pay me yeah. to like take a selfie and put it on the internet oh, yeah. <laughs> you know like how is that like for you and and that career path it didn't really exist it's it that's such an interesting question because my parents are very savvy and my father always wanted to be immersed and a part of my life and my career my mom will like ask a few questions and then she'll go back to doing what she's doing my dad wants to be in it and fully understand it very much like Roger, to be honest, like they have a profound interest in understanding it fully and immersing in that world. So my dad was so intrigued by it. And he would always say that it was my form of art. And he was honestly so proud and so interested in what I was doing because it was somewhat new. My grandfather, however, was extremely confused. My grandfather would be like, he would tell everyone he was a volunteer, like the head volunteer at, at this hospital. And, you know, he'd be like, my granddaughter, she, she doesn't do hair, but as a stylist, if you said I'm a stylist, they thought that meant hair. For many years. Yeah, for many years. And if ever I was anywhere with, you know, parents, parents, you'd friends, have anywhere, clothing you'd have styles. to say clothing styles and they'd say people can't decide what they want to wear. It was a very confusing subject for Everyone. probably 10 years. Until, it really was, honestly. You know. And then um, and then my my mother though, there were she was incredibly supportive. I think it was harder for her that I had to miss so many things. I had to miss a lot of important, you know, birthdays and baby showers and you know, I really cuz cuz in the world of freelance, a Sunday is a Monday, a Saturday is a Tuesday. It does not matter. And if you turn down that job, it's going to someone else. So there was a huge fear, like anyone in their 20s, that if you don't take the job, you know, someone else is lined up to take it, right? So, and I also constantly had a feeling like, if I mess this up, I'm not working again, you know? And there was a constant fear behind every job I did, that if I screw this up, I won't get another job. Or if I turn this down, it will be the biggest mistake of my career. And that's how I literally governed my career until probably my mid thirties, although I'm still in my mid thirties, but you know, probably around then. And then, um, there were a lot of moments where my mother would say, why are you doing this? They're not even paying you barely anything like da 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 da. And I was like, mom, you don't understand. It's with a photographer that I've dreamed of, you know, working with for my entire life. Like this is a dream. And she'd be like, but you're going to like lose money on it. I'm like, yes, but I'll be overpaid for this job and I'll, it'll all balance out, you know? And I had like no assistant, like one assistant and, you know, Roger doing my expense reports with me that were like 50 pages long. And, you know, those were those days, you know? Yeah. I think that, sorry, if I just can add one thing to that is, you know, I think today people are getting uh, the, the audience and, and Rachel also, you know, it's transitioned into, you know, she's getting paid for, the promotion because she has some authority in that promotion, right? Like, you know, the influencers are getting paid because they look good in the clothing or people like how they present it or whatever it is. At that time, don't forget, Rachel was getting paid for her craft. Only. This wasn't wasn't like people weren't getting, weren't paying Rachel to like do the other stuff. Like, so, so again, yes, it's a non-traditional path, but it's still people were paying her to like, here's your call sheet, you know, like, just 4 like, a.m. call. Just, no, like, but just like someone that would be working on a movie or I anything else. She service. was a professional working in a indi- she was in an industry, the industry of fashion and 
photo production and thing existed for many years. I think what Rachel did, and I think what everyone would credit her with, is most people in the world, when you say I'm a stylist, they now know it's a fashion stylist as opposed to a clothing stylist. And what Rachel did, in my opinion, brought to the world, first of all, the fact that A, this really does exist. There's a behind the scenes of the scenes that you all love, but there's a behind the scenes that's very creative and artistic and whatever. And those are really a lot of the people that are getting the job done. So I think she opened up everyone's eyes to seeing that there's more there. And I also think what Rachel did in terms of, you know, sort of her whatever contribution, if you will, is also showing that and this is where the influencer part came out. Every single person should really be thanking Emeril Lagasse because Emeril Lagasse, people don't remember that, who's a chef, if anyone doesn't know who that is. He was the first the network. He was the first person, in my opinion, and Martha Stewart was in there too, but it was not a trained thing. It was more of a home thing. But Emeril Lagasse was the first person that got paid to be the best at what they did that was not an actor or an athlete. The only time when that he started making like cookware and like the, you no, know, he's the only person and, that said, Hey, if I'm the best at a profession, I all of a sudden could be a media person too and get yeah. paid. So he was the first one that did it. And I don't think people give him enough credit. But after that happened, you're the best flower picker. You get a TV show. You're the best <laughs> yes. junk collector. You get a TV show. So don't forget professions, dirty jobs. That was a TV show because people were cleaning sewers, right? So before that, being you know, having a profession was fine, but it was only a way to make money. Then it became, people became interested. They're like, well, we got it. We're saturated with like, how many times can we talk about these seven same celebrities or these same 10 people? So I think the world, because there's media consumption really just started exploding. I think the world was like, and I think Rachel was part of it, but really, like I was saying, the chefs, really, Bobby Flays, those guys are really the ones who are like, hey, I'm a pro, and now I could talk to you, and I could show you a cookbook, and I could do a TV show, and you're going to watch, and what I say is important. And that is really the beginning of influencers, in awesome. my opinion. That's so interesting. Sorry, go ahead, Mary. No, I was just going to say that's really interesting to think about when that shift occurred, where people were like, we don't have to just hire people, actors, perhaps. Yeah to pretend to tell other people's stories. We right. can have people tell their own stories. Right. Yep. And I, I think, you know, it's very funny, you guys, because there's a word that you guys obviously would know what it means now. And of course, they know what it means now. But there was there was a moment in like 2006, 2007, 2008, and I was getting all these amazing like awards, which was so nice. But obviously, like for me, it was always hard to accept awards because again, like I always had the mentality and I, I still do. And Roger kind of makes fun of me, but you know, I set my career out to be a stylist. A stylist is a service. I'm providing service for people. So people always say like, okay, there was a shift and then you were in front of the camera. I'm like, yes, but I always think of myself as a stylist. I'm more comfortable in the back. And, you know, it's just who you are, right? So I'm comfortable with a camera. Yes, sure. Like, because I I just don't think about it. But I think there was this one award that I remember getting a call they said, Rachel, you're going to get the FGI award, which in my industry, you know, Fashion Group International, it's like the scariest room. It's the scariest award I ever got because yeah. I just remember standing up on the thing and looking down and there was like Terry Redfield and Anna Wintour and Tom Ford. And I was like, ah. I almost barked. But it was for being a fashion oracle. And I remember looking at Roger like I would, blonde moment, and just looked at him and I was like, 
what does that even mean? She's what like, do you mean she's an like, oracle? What's an oracle? It sounds like the thing that comes off a whale. She's like, know? what's an oracle? I'm like, it's a good thing. <laughs> Great. Okay, I'll accept it. Like, you know, and then and then it turned out that it was, you know, it was it was a really exciting moment, but it was funny because I think oracle is sort of this older school word for influencer, I guess, yeah. right? Yeah. But anyway, so so that's kind of my very long life in a five minute, you know. Yeah. No, that's incredible. So Roger, you guys moved to New York City. Rachel yep. is running around, probably not seeing her very much. Tell us a little bit about in that time. Yeah, I mean, finance, right? We had a typical story. I mean, it was li- perfect. Actually. Literally, we, 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 I mean, we did the typical, the typical New York City. post-college New York City experience. We lived on the Upper East Side. We shared our one bedroom apartment with another couple and we created into a two bedroom with a pressure wall. Um, nice. It was Rachel's friend from college. Yep. So we, so we, so basically the four of us lived together, this, uh, this guy, Charles and Emily, he worked at Bear Stearns and I worked at Lattenberg Thalman as a banker. We were both in corporate finance. So it was kind of like, Charles worked at Bear Stearns, so he worked later than I did, but it was kind of like a who gets home first. So I would come home at like one in the morning and Charles would come at four in the morning. And basically Rachel and Emily kind of lived like roommates in college because they never saw their husband, you know, their boyfriend. <laughs> and that's, and, and at the sure. time, Rachel really didn't, I, this was, you know, again, when we first moved there, I, I had the job moving there and... So when, so she kind of, I always make this joke. She moved to New York City unemployed. Yeah. I supported her. She lived <laughs> with me. And then she became this fashion assist. You know, but again, at the end of the day, it's kind of true. It's like she was my girlfriend. For like only three months. I started in oh, September. Then, oh, then, oh, oh, and then she made $75 a day. <laughs> I'm sorry, sweetheart. I'm true. so sorry. Then true, she true. made $75 true, true. a day, three days a week. True, so, true. Wow. True, true. In New York City, that was whew, true, true. It's quite the contribution. So anyhow. <laughs> true, true. So anyhow, you know, but I love my job. She loved her job. And, and to be honest, I loved my job too, because, you know, I'm always been sort of very conflicted because I do think that I, I, I gravitate towards, you know, creative, a little culturally, you know, open meaning, you know, I, I like, I'm just not that conservative of a person. I'm a very liberal He's person. He's not necessarily a huge corporate. No, I'm a very liberal person, but at the same time, for whatever reason, I love, you know, the stock market. You know, poker, yeah. and you know, trade. You know, I, I like numbers, and I understand. I love business, and you know, so I've always been this sort of weird dichotomy where I was an investment banker, and I put on a suit, and I had a short haircut, and I always said I had the mental firepower to be that, but I never had the soul to do that. Um, but, you never, were, but you were there for a while, weren't you? Yeah, I was there for eight, eight, years. eight, eight and a half years, and I basically started as an analyst. Then we can- Hi, Quick Caius. interruption. Hey, Caius. Caius, what's going on? <laughs> ah! It was at school and this morning. Oh, I thought you... Wacky Wednesday. That's why I, wa- I wanted you to walk in with your Wacky Wednesday outfit. Get on an acid green leopard shirt and tie. That's why I thought he was going to walk in and show and you his... sunglasses. And sunglasses. Oh, wow. Do you do that every Wednesday, Caius? Oh, he wants his hugs. Hold on. He just wants hugs. This is like... Hug, a- hug break. <laughs> All he does is kind of love. I love you, boy. Aww. What's Skylar up to? Um, probably, probably playing video. Fun. Oh, he's playing Fortnite. Oh. No, go no. check. Go check and sound the alarm. I did. What? Unless you're playing. 
is he or no? No, he's not. Yeah. I oh, I can tell what you're doing. Go check on him. Go check on him. You get so mad if you call him out. Look, he'll start kicking. You get so mad. Oh, good to see you, Caius. Good to see you, bud. Hey, bye to Rich and Mary. Bye, Bye. Bye, kids. He's so sweet. He is so oh sweet. Oh, my God. He comes in for love breaks. He comes day. in all, the, all day because I'm in here. He's and like, he goes, huggies. He just runs and goes, huggy break. And he just comes in and hugs me and then runs out. Oh, oh my God. That's so incredible. Incredible. Oh, my God. Um, be on a high alert that nine is the new 12. Really? Because when the nine-year-old comes. When the nine-year-old comes in, he's not. He, he'll be like, oh "Hey, God. watch out! Where's my lunch? I want to play. I have a play date. By the way, Dad, I have to play Minecraft. Dad, you didn't. And by help the way, me you didn't help yet. me correctly. I don't know why I got that one thing wrong. It was all your fault. I'm like, that's funny. <laughs> that is amazing. That's it's really, it, yeah, it's probably helpful to get that kind of constructive feedback from yeah. nine-year-olds. <laughs> Dad, I really need. I really need you to step up on the homework game. I'd like to see more from you. We will get back to the interview in just a minute, but while we're talking amongst ourselves, I wanted to take a quick break that is brought to you by our sponsor, ShopStyle Collective. One of the great aspects of the ShopStyle Collective platform is the data that you have at your fingertips. It helps you understand your audience and better informs your content. So to that end, ShopStyle Collective has shared with us some trends that they're seeing right now that you might find helpful. Right now, they're seeing increases across the board for outdoor-based entertainment, cooking, and activity products. As an example, swimwear for the whole family is trending up, with one-pieces actually outperforming two-pieces. Grilling tools are up significantly, with products like griddles seeing a 285% increase. Dresses are also back, with sun and day dresses seeing the largest uptick in a category that as a whole is seeing an uptick of 54%. And then outdoor toys for children are also up by 85%. And even even though outdoor-based products are riding that summer trend, learning and activity products are also up massively, up 1,300% as parents look for inspiration and ideas for how to keep their children busy and productive during COVID. So, you know, for stats like this and a whole lot more, make sure you head over to shopstylecollective.com and sign up. Now, back to the interview with Rachel and Roger. Wait, so where were we? We were, so, so. Oh, yeah. So you were saying, well, uh, you're conflicted, but you were there for eight and a half years. I, was, I mean, that's a well, long I was there time. For, I was there for eight and a half years. And I think the main reason was, is I actually, I was learning, you know? So yeah. Yeah. I was working again. The funny thing is about both of our stories, if you will. And I think that mm-hmm. it would be great for anyone listening to listen. I used to work, I'd go to work and be in about 930, wasn't like early work. My early day is I got home at 9.30 at night. I'd be early because then Rachel and I could have dinner at 10 or I could meet her for dinner at 9.30, 10. I'd be a little late. So for me, that was my early night. My normal nights, midnight. And if I'm there late, I'm either coming home at 3 a.m. or staying overnight. There was a period in my, t- in my work life where I worked seven straight months without a day off in the office every day, seven months. So I think we didn't see each other. It was actually But I great. think what people maybe don't understand, and you know, there's two ways to look at it. Wow, you guys are crazy or wow, I can't believe they made you work that hard. Wow, you should really demand your equal rights and you should, you should unionize. Okay. Or you could look at it the other way and say, you know what? I just worked 16 years versus everyone else's eight. Yep. And that's how I look at it. So I Everything's look, a number, isn't it? Everything's well, a math problem. Yeah, well, listen- I learned more about businesses and He'll companies. He'll tell you it was the best training he ever had in his best life. Best training ever. And I got paid to do it. So I got paid to have the best training in my life. 
and I worked my ass off, but that's what you have to do. And frankly, the reason why you have to spend so much time as a banker is because the stuff is hard. It's complicated and it takes that long, frankly. And the reality is, is it takes that long and you can't have unlimited teams doing it because there's points that certain small groups need to work on. And that's just the reality. So if you yeah. want to be in that business, that's sort of how it has to be. And same thing with the lawyers. And I guess the point being is there was a lot of sacrifice. But if you love what you're doing and you're learning, just like Rachel was saying, we didn't feel like it was sacrifice. And then when the internet happened, I started an internet company. Long story short, that business, we wound up merging with a company that's a little bit bigger. And of course, we sold the whole thing to Equifax. Sure. Sure. So those were the early days. So started that business, we sold that business, and then that's when I moved out here. That's when we moved out here. So after post-sale, that's when Rachel and I- Did you start Recognition Media when you were still living in New York? No, I started Recognition Media here. Oh, yeah, when we lived on Burton Way, right. So then I moved out here with Rach, obviously. I said, let's give this a try. I, I honestly, you guys, I loved it here so much. I spent a summer here when I was 16 at UCLA, and my heart was being pulled here from that point on. But when I tried to get him here, he was even way more of a diehard New York City. I was like a New York investment me. banker. I'm like, everyone in LA is dumb. Like, what? Are you? You know? And then he literally came and I was like, oh my God, if he hates it, we can move back. I love you guys. I swear to God, within 30 days, he was doing yoga and drinking green juice. And he was that <laughs> person ever. He's like, this is great. I was like, <laughs> I, I honestly, and I still, I'm still the biggest he LA advocate, LA. as you know. I just feel like people, People that don't know, don't know. And when you do know, you're, you're just going to kick yourself that you wasted so much time elsewhere. But that's <laughs> not amazing. That's my personal opinion. And, you know, everyone Take has, it over everyone has their, their, their rights, their opinion. No, I love it. Every time we, we talk with you guys, it's like, it's not, are you thinking of moving to LA? It's when, 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 when are you when? moving to LA? Just when? like when. Because yeah. everyone must do it. Yeah, we and have a lot. Of, we, we put a lot. Surely, you are going to do it. It's just because a matter. People of what. we care about. It's people we care about. We wanted to to enjoy the lifestyle <laughs> that we were living, and, and it's it's sad. It's like you know when you see people, you're like, huh? Why is that person living in jail? I Don't feel, say that about New York City. No, York I feel City's so bad. I feel so bad that that there's so many. Don't listen to him. You know, it's not. I'm not talking about New York City specifically. Yeah. I'm saying in general, you would you if you're if, if like your friends were living in a in a situation that you didn't think was optimal, you try to help them. <laughs> you might send them a couch or something if they needed furniture <laughs> or maybe some food if they were hungry. I just feel that way when I look at everyone. That's <laughs> anyway. Not, that's not looking like look. Yeah. And every day because it's gorgeous. That's why I opened it. So you can see the sunshine for our our listeners. Roger is showing us the green lush outdoors and the sunshine of LA right now. Right. But right behind them through their, their beautiful windows. So you moved out to LA after the sale of the business, Rachel, you kind of started this new kind of segment of your business focused more on celebrity styling. Right. Yep. Hollywood. Yeah. And at what point did you guys start working together? Oh, well, oh, well. So I had a whole other business before that. Yeah. So he built Recognition Media, which I know you know that business, that yeah. Webby Awards, which obviously is a massive, like Oscars. For those who don't know, it's like the Oscars of the internet. And it was actually a while after we, we lived here because I was like hardcore styling. I had one or two assistants. And then we moved to like from apartments to a house at a studio in my house. And then I believe it was probably around 2006, honey. 
Yeah. I Gun think, sex tube, nah, long story short. Well, what are we in, 20? Social media. It was media. probably... <coughs> it was social media. probably 12 or 14 years ago, whenever Twitter was started. It was, you guys, for in, in the short of it, it was basically social media took off. Um, Ashton Kircher taught me how to tweet because Roger tried endlessly. And of course, <laughs> anything else, you don't listen to your husband or your dad. You know, you have to listen to like a friend or someone else. And Ashton was so, he was so early in that whole sort of Twitter social media thing like he is with everything else. And he was, I was on a shoot um, at his office actually with Jimmy or whatever. And I just remember he was like, sit down. I'm going to teach you how to do this. Long story short is I learned social media and basically it was Roger that through my TV show, through the, the launch of social media and everything else, Roger came up with the idea of basically he was like, all of these people want to talk to you. They want to hear from you. You're being hired by all these businesses to sort of give authority or credibility or a voice to all these brands. And he was like, there has to be a way that you can connect with people in a bigger way. A lot of people. And that was sort of the launch of the Zoe Report. Right. And that yeah, was I was clearly, never part of Rachel's styling business. Like, no, no. But but the truth is, you guys, like in, in, in answering this very, you know, honestly, because obviously, you know, you work together, right? So we're together since I was 19 years old. I had been working with countless people. Obviously, as a stylist, you work with a whole mm. different crew of people every single day. And the reality of it is, is that I am so aware and have always been aware. And I've been very candid with both of you since we met as to what my strengths are and what my weaknesses are. And my father, being an entrepreneur his entire adult life, um, taught me you have to know what you're good at and you have to know what you're not good at and be really okay with what you're not good at. And if you want to obviously get better at whatever you don't feel you're strong in, great. But you can't be amazing at everything. So, but what you have to do as an entrepreneur is you have to hire amazing people that are strong in what you're weak in. And, and that really ended up serving me over the course of my life, you know, and, and I'm really okay with it. I'm really not driven by ego. And so Roger clearly is so much stronger in the sort of business and the finance. And obviously he's an ideas person, right? So that was sort of where it started. It started with the launch of the Zoe Report. Okay. And simultaneously, that was really his baby, so to speak, because I was styling like a lunatic. You know what I mean? So it was very difficult for me to sort of do both. So I was obviously doing the sort of picking of the items and the fashion part of it, but he was running the entire business, you know? Um, it just, my, my brand slash business became too big for me to handle on my own. Well, I think it's not even that. It's both. You know, I, I'll tell you exactly what it was. And it's, it was very interesting at the time. So I started this business recognition media with my business partner, Neil Vogel, who now is the CEO of dot dash, which is an IEC company, huge companies crushing it over there. But, and he's still my business partner in, in that bit, in our business, we own and other investments we made over the years. And tell people what recognition media is in case yeah. they don't know. So recognition media. So I, like I said earlier, you know, I was a banker and I had a very you know dear friend, still do, who sort of, we grew up together as bankers, you know, we sat next to each other in cubes, then we shared an office together, and then we had 
offices next to each other, you know, but we sort of grew up business, you know, professionally together. And, um, I went off to start my company. Like I told you, um, the email uh, marketing company, and he was one of the founders of Alloy, which I don't know if this was Alloy, which is Delia's. This was like the first online retailers. They were catalog retailers because catalogs were the first people that actually went online because they were already used to direct mail, right? So it's like, hey, instead of calling the number, come online and put your order in. So um, as a banker, we took this company, Alloy Public, and Neil was one of the bankers, and then they asked him to join as their corporate dev person. So Neil went off and joined them. He was working there for a while. I started my company. We sort of ended at the same time, if you will. And Neil called me up and asked about this thing he was looking at. He was looking at buying this business called the Tele Awards, which is a video, you know, an award for like local regional video production. <laughs> and he, it's funny, I still remember, he called me up and he was looking at it and I won't say the, the amount we paid for it, but he was like, I don't know, I want to pay this and I want to pay it. I go, dude, for 200 grand, I'm like, either this is the platform you're going to build on or it's not, you know, and it's not going to make, 200 grand is never going to make a difference if this is, if this is the, the thesis, you know? And he's like, you know, you're right. And then he sort of said, you know, I, I've been looking for someone to do this with. I mean, we work so well together. Would you do it with me? Or, you know, be my partner. And I'm like, I literally had nothing to do. I'm like, sure. You know, and because um, I was theoretically like, unemployed. So I'm like, sure, let's do this. And then we bought the Tele Awards. And then we wound up managing, actually, licensing the, the Webby Awards from IDG, because it's a, a publishing company, whatever. Sure. A little in the weeds. But Long story short is we licensed the Webby Awards and we bought the Webby Awards. Then we started the Communicator Awards and WP3 Awards. We started Internet Week. We started the Lovey Awards in London, or yeah, which is a, Europe, a pan-European award. Anyway, we started all these great things. And uh, yeah, we grew that business nicely. But going back to the story of when I joined Rachel, I joined Rachel because at some point it's like a B2B business. And Neil's a strong, you know, strong. The whole business was built in New York. And I was like out here with one other person. It just wasn't, it wasn't really that fulfilling. We need to be together. Yeah, we, I, we just, we just wasn't really whatever. And I was like, you know, what should I do? Because I don't, not really need it in this business, to be honest. And, uh, and I started thinking about like the typical thing, kind of what Rich would think about. Like, well, I'm a corporate finance guy. I could probably get a few points by working for this company. Or maybe I could da 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 And then right. I started thinking myself, I'm like, you know what? That's all, that's crazy because if I think about it, the best best up and coming brand I know about is Rachel Zoe. Like she's a person, but I kind of think we can make her into a brand. I was like, you're crazy. And I'm like, <laughs> but the way to make her into a brand is people got, you know, we got to be able to connect to people. So, and, and that's the whole genesis of the Zoe report. So once we started the Zoe report is when I really joined Rachel as a business partner. And I was then it, always and then behind it honestly the scenes. kept growing and growing. Yeah, and I was always behind the scenes, like helping her with a contract or, you know, obviously any advice. And I created her first invoice on Word and template doc. <laughs> template invoice. Honey, what's your social security number? Did you, you know, it's like, it had the little stars. Sorry, guys. Little stars. Yeah. yeah. I tell you, I had zero interest in that. Like, it really just, I was I like. I make her do, you remember I had to make you do your expenses? Because oh, we needed the money, and she had all these money. I'm like, baby, this I Saturday. I was laying out, like, like I was like, I was like baby, this Saturday, money. I swear, we have to do it, because we need to get reimbursed, and we would sit there. Because the world that? of styling, you guys, is crazy. You lay out the money. you lay out the money, and then you got to wait for it to come back, and 
you know, in those days, like my wardrobe budgets for clients were like 50 grand. So, I mean, it was crazy. So, so we were always like credit cards and like getting money and reimbursing, getting free. It was like a lot of actual, a lot of accounting. And I remember we taped, that was, I remember we taped it together and then I added it up and we, I, we sent it. So that's, that's the olden days, people, as my kids would call it. The olden days. <laughs> They yeah. recently asked me if there was television when I was young. And they asked if we were on horses and carriages, I think. Uh, I mean, I just... Sickest. I love my kids. <laughs> <laughs> I've been some horses. Are you okay? <laughs> well, you know, so you started working together in kind of 2006, 2007. And talk to us a little bit about... You, you had... Um, talked a little bit about the split of responsibilities, right? Yeah. Rachel, you're focused on your strengths and you let Roger kind of manage the other stuff that he's good at. Well, there was a very clear divide because I was filming the TV show for from 2007 to 2012, almost 13. And so that was a full-time job in addition to my actual full-time job where I had at those years the most clients that I ever had. That was like the actual like height of the insanity of my styling life, you know, mm -hmm. Diaz and Kate Hudson and Salma Hayek and Ava Mendez and, you know, Kira Knightley and Jennifer Garner. And so it was just like, my life was like, I mean, I was waking up in the middle of the night with panic attacks. I went to Prague to shoot Brad Pitt for two weeks. And, you know, I mean, it was like the insanity of my life pre children. Was literally, it was unsustainable. And the truth is, you guys, I got very sick. Um, I always forget that it was on my show. I got very severe vertigo um, in 2009. And I was sick for almost a year where I couldn't, like, I still worked, of course, because I was, like, sick in my head. But, like, you know, I couldn't drive a car. I couldn't, like, sit in a, I mean, it was crazy. I was getting these, like, paid jobs to show up places and speak. And I would look at Roger and be like, I'm going to, like, fall it was, it was yeah, not remember sustainable. remember we had, like, we would pull over it. We had to pull uh, over on the, on the side of the road, like, for an hour. Like, I couldn't fly. It was, it was really not sustainable. And, I remember that, you know, actually. I always say to people, like, in this very weird way, because very often I get asked, like, how did becoming a mother change you, you know? And I always say, like, in every possible way that you can ever explain it changed me. It didn't change who I am at the core, because I've always been, if you know people, if, if you talk to people that have known me my whole life, they'll be like, you're exactly the same, you know? Um, but the, the insanity at which I was living my life and the accountability that I had to so many people um, was insane. And, and so I think after, you know, sometimes you have to get sick and have a scare to kind of realize this is, this is wrong. You, you can't do this. And I finally got better. And then what happened right after that was I accidentally sort of got pregnant. <laughs> it wasn't like, an, it was the happiest accident. You know, it was, it, we weren't trying, we're not trying, but like I, I got very lucky and I got pregnant. I was more shocked than anybody. But um, the truth is, is that, you know, I always tell people that Skylar in a sense really saved my life because I think there was no way that I could have lived the way I was living. You know, I obviously like, I never did drugs. I never, I was, I was, you know, it wasn't like that. It was just, you know, I didn't sleep. I was waking up with panic attacks. I was working like seven days a week. And if I had a day off, I mean, it was like, it was, it wasn't normal, you know? And I think once Skylar was in my hands, my whole being was, you know, just turned upside down. It was sort of like, who is Rachel Zoe? Who am I? 
how do I do this? How do I be, how do I function being this in love with, with this little child? And now nothing matters to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And I literally like had this almost a full year where for lack of a better term, it was like, I couldn't get my head Two out years. of my, you know what? Two years. And I just was like, let's just say my head was in the clouds. And I was in this let's baby just- bubble where I just couldn't, I looked at Roger. I was like, I can't do this. I don't know how to go back to being that person and that life. And, and then it was funny because I, I finally then probably a full two years later, I, I started to get really back into the game and really back into loving my job, but learning how to love what I do in a way that is healthy, healthy and totally different than what it was, but trying to find my fire you know, and it was very strange and that, and then I got pregnant with Caius and it was very different for me because I worked through that whole pregnancy and I, and I remember, I will never forget it because literally 12 days after I had Caius, it was the Oscars. It was like award season or, or like fittings for that right before, um, or like in early January, it was the Golden Globes. And I remember walking into a fitting with Jen Lawrence and her being like, are you okay? Like, didn't you just, (laughs) you know, and I was like, I'm good. I am ready to get, you know, and it was, it was a different, it was a different experience. But the truth is, is that I once again, like really love what I do, but it is a totally different thing. And I look at, you know, my job and and what I love. And I, you know, it's funny. I think about, cause you know, I'm not styling the way I was or, or really at all other than for my job. But the truth is, is that I, I think very often, how would I go back to that? You know, how would I, how can you? And because I'm someone that can only do things a hundred percent, you know, and styling is definitely one of those. It's very hard for me to do that, you know, any less than a hundred, you know? So I, I, there it's those kind of things, but the truth is like, I've never been happier in my life, you know? Yeah. And I think that like, I don't know. So that's, that's sort of me life nutshell career, I guess, but what were some of the, Rachel, what were some of the the things, I don't know if there are any like concrete steps you took to make that shift from, Um, you know, when, when Skylar was born and then maybe you were continually shifting when Caius was born as well, but to keep your career going, obviously, as it has continued go in the trajectory that you wanted, but also achieve that kind of balance. No, well, to be honest, honest, what happened was um, the styling part of it was really difficult because when I had Sky, I didn't want to leave him. You know, that first child thing, which you guys have, you don't really leave them. I don't think I left Sky till I was was four. Um, Kaya, so I was like, I love you more than life, but I know how to leave you and know that you'll be fine when I come back in three hours, you know? Um, but the truth is, is that I do remember, I just remember like having that epiphany of being like, it's okay to leave. They will be fine. You need to do what you do. And, and you get, there is that moment, at least for me, where, you know, you can get that baby brain, you know? And I think for me, I, I started to really need to have self-worth and value and purpose outside of being Skylar's mother, you know? Um, and I need, I missed my fire. I did. And I was scared that if I had my fire back, I would be a bad mom. You know what I mean? But if I didn't have any, then I would suck at my job. 
yeah. you know? And so uh, what I did learn was that surrounding myself with an incredible team, which I had been terrible at prior, um, I really had been, I didn't know how to delegate. And that was the thing I was horrible at. And I think once you have people that you trust, um, you can be better at your job. But I will say that you guys, you know, I did have a situation with styling where ultimately was a big part of the reason that I quit. Um, styling ultimately was because my clients wanted me there. They didn't want my assistants there. And so what I thought would be a sustainable where I could be there for the larger things and have my team there for other things, it didn't work. And ultimately my assistants ended up very often being people I couldn't trust. And so it's it just not sustainable. So I had to really just make the transition. And, you know, weirdly, I, I didn't really look back and ever miss it until this year. Really? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I had some PTSD. I think I had some burnout. I think, you know, like anything else, but I, I, I this year, I just remember we were at Couture in July in Paris and I said, if these dresses don't end up on the red carpet, I'm going to have to go back to styling because I have to place them. And I was so devastated because so many of them were not used and worn. And I had so many friends calling going, you have to come out of styling retirement. You have to come back. You have to do this. You have to, you know, and I thought about it and I, you know, maybe I will, who knows, you never know, but, but differently, obviously. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the hallmarks of your, your brand and your companies and your personal brand is that you've been able to have this wonderful career over the course of decades. Uh, and I think one of the things a lot of influencers, celebrities, a variety of people struggle with is how to maintain, uh, you know, that career and that level of notoriety, have that level of following, you know, through a bunch of different things. I like to call it the Tila Tequila. Oh, hey, hey, what's, hey what's up? How are you doing? Hi, bud. Um, well, I just what? Why is no? Why is Noah calling mommy's phone? It's you not Noah, it's Max. Oh, it's that's Max. Okay. Dad. Skylar, Skylar, you have social time at 12. Well, what time is it now? It's 11.20. It's 11.20. I'm, I'm almost done, and I'll feed you, okay? Sorry, we're, we're keeping you from feeding. Yeah, no, 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 okay. Okay. We'll, we'll wrap it up. All hell will break loose soon. Well, um, what I was going to say is one of the things you've had, you've had this wonderful career over decades, and you've yeah. stayed, you know, very relevant in your industries for a long, long time. And what, you know, how did you avoid the Tila tequila effect? You know, the, you know, she was what? big on MySpace, but she didn't make it, you know? I have one answer for that. Update your reference. I got to update my reference. Well, I got it from Paris. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have two answers. Okay, okay. My first answer to that would be social media. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm not on TV, right. Um, and then the visibility of who I am and who, and what the brand is, can only really be through social media at that point, right? So I think I've been fortunate in that sense. You know, it's very interesting because, you know, people are like, you have 3.3 million followers, but you're not on television. And I am sort of like, yeah, weird. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? And, but then when you think about it, if you look at it another way, there's people with exponentially more followers that have never been on TV. So I, I think, I think it's, it's, it's this very strange thing, but I think the truth is, and what Roger has said and what my dad has said is that I think that people can ultimately see 
when someone is the real thing or not. I think that people are smarter than they get credit for. And I think that for people who do know me or some who have followed my career or grew up with me, because sometimes, you know, a lot of the, the young people that come and meet with us and want to work with us are like, I followed you since I, my whole, like, you know, I studied you in school and textbook, you know, and I'm like, you know, and, and, but the truth is, is that I think they genuinely know how much I truly love what I've done, what I do, what I'm going to do and how much this career that I've had has been my whole, like until children, my whole being. You know, it was basically my work and Roger. And that was what I lived for until I had kids. And, you know, I think that people can separate who treat things like they're a job versus who do things because they live for it. And I think for better or for worse, I live for it. And, you know, I think now I live for it in a healthier way. Um, but I think that's it. I think it's just, I don't know. I have, I have so many answers. Oh, Roger's chomping at the bit. Well, Roger, you're an early adopter of technology, well, right? Yeah. Well, I'm an, early <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm an early adopter of technology, but I also, I think have a pretty good idea. So the, the question was, how do you stay relevant and why do you think some brands are relevant? Some aren't. So I think the first thing that we need to discuss with our listeners is what's a brand? And I think what you have to understand is my lovely wife has three point, I don't know, five, seven, eight million Instagram followers. There are many, many people that have more followers. Right. Some people, well, but different. Some people have 12 million. Some people have 14. But if you go across America and you ask how many people know that person that has the 14 million versus the 3.2, I guarantee that Rachel will be known by a factor of 10x. So I think what people confuse is they confuse followings from brands. A brand is something that's recognizable when you see it. A following is someone that understands a very specific person. And if you're trying to get into business and you're trying to make money on a brand, it's way more important to build a brand than it is a following, in my opinion, because guess what? Once you tap out of those followers, where are you going to go? And I think that's what a lot of people are going to see. We're like, oh, I don't need you. I don't need this. I'll launch my own thing. I have enough followers to do it on my own. Guess what? From people who knows, we have a media company. We had millions of people every month coming to our website. We now have something which is amazing called Box of Style, which is our subscription business. We sold our media business to focus on our subscription business. And the main reason why is because what brands and everyone else will eventually figure out is people who look at content are much, much different than people who buy things. And it's much more valuable to have people who buy things. So going back to the original analogy, Rachel is a brand and therefore it denotes buying things. Other people have followers. It does not, it denotes them following what they want or looking like them or reading about them or being interested in them. Being interested in something is completely different than being primed to buy. And anyway, so the answer to your real question is we've done it. We're, we're in it for the long game. And the best example I could give you is every single one of Rachel's peers at that time. And I remember it was like Heidi Klum and Tyra Banks and like, you know, who's in this sort of celebrity, you know, fashion game, if you will. 
every single one of them made, you know, nice deals with AOL. Tyra made something with, with called like Red they're at both, the time. They're all doing great. They are all doing great, but I'm just showing the different paths. And what I'm saying is they're doing great because they continue to be on media. Okay. Heidi and them continue to be on media and that is what their business is media, right? So I always say you have a choice to make. You have a choice whether to be, be paid by being a media person like Katie Couric. All those people are media people. Andy Cohen, he's a media person, right? Or you want to get paid as a brand and Rach and I, especially me being an investment banker, I always want to make money when I'm sleeping. And so if you really think about making money when you sleep, the whole point is you got to have the ability to have a brand. So what I would say to everyone is take your following and do things that turn your following into a brand, do things that are impactful and that people relate to beyond. You have to mean something you more to, to people. Be, you mean you something more because something. a brand needs brand ethos. So if all you're doing is really just putting different spins on other people's products, ultimately, I don't think you're developing a brand ethos, but if you can, I think if you have two, three, four, five million influencers and you hung out with me, yeah, we could build a brand together for sure, but it takes a very, very long time. And we don't forget, we've been doing this for 20 years and we still are working. I was on last night on a Zoom call at 10. We're both. We're working. At 10.45 p.m. last night going over a model with my CEO and our chief product officer. We were going over a model because it's important because we got, because you know what? We're about to pick up another little business. You know, we're buying a little business and you know what? There's no time. Like we're doing it now today and it's funny but we're still grinding so that's the point it never stops it It never stops to answer your question rich i think simply i i think at the end of the day i think beyond being an influencer you have to mean something to people and what do you mean to people beyond what other people mean if that makes sense but, how do you how do you differentiate yourself from others but right look, but look at even mary she's That's in business she's creating a business Correct. around her Correct. exposure Correct. and around what she knows so the same thing you you were a stylist and you learned that she is obviously arguably people love you know she's beautiful and amazing and influential but the, ultimately she's saying like hey with that access and what i know i'm helping other people i'm creating more creating a business out of it so it's like wonderful to see and all i'm saying is long term you have to have a business model that works. And what we've always done is we've used media to shine a light on our business model. But at the end of the day, we have people's credit cards and they charge money. And that's the that's the main difference. Otherwise, you have to get paid by people who are charging the credit cards. So it's a, it's a choice you got to make. Are you charging credit cards or yeah. someone else? Yeah. And, yeah. And that's it. No, I think that's great. And I think that's a great place to kind of end the business talk. But before we let you go, I have a few rapid fire personal questions. So Roger, this one's for Roger. What's the most iconic Rachel Zoe look? I know what he I think, well, I don't know about iconic. My favorite, my favorite look is when she was photographed in a, she sort of had bangs in a black on, she was with Carl Lagerfeld at the Lincoln Center luncheon. Oh, my hair is back. She had her hair back. It wasn't the quintessential racial look, but it's my favorite look. Oh. <laughs> That's true. Um, I was, I, you know what it was? You guys were at this this luncheon for Karl Lagerfeld, and I, I was wearing this black Chanel like trench coat with a white shirt underneath, and my hair was pulled back, and I had big black glasses on, and 
Um, and I think I was wearing gloves because it was for him. And then, and I was secretly three months pregnant with Scott. So oh. she was very vibrant and beautiful. Like, you know, I was also a little pukey. She was very vibrant. <laughs> but, the, but the point is, is I actually like Rachel. Like my favorite look for Rachel, I know this is rapid fire, is like equestrian look, like white shirt. Like Rob I actually, not great at rapid fire because he can't do anything. I don't really fire. like the whole That's secret. Blood, it's fine. I'll do now. Oh, Rachel, fun. this one's for you. Okay. Roger's best trucker hat. Ugh. None. None. Zero. None. Nada. Um, actually, okay, if I had to answer it, I would say core, his core response one because I love the core response foundation. I okay. do. Um, the, the most tragic, I mean, like California's for lovers are I love liquor. I mean, you just can't make it. <laughs> All right, Roger. He led our all company meeting in an I love liquor. All right, Roger. The best purse snack you've ever received from Rachel, because I know she keeps snacks for you in her purse because you get hangry. <laughs> the best purse snack is actually if she found like a piece of a muffin that she might have had for the kid, because the package things are like sort of run in the mill. She's always has packaged goods. But if I find like a leftover, like actual baked good or something that was for the children, because I always get second class citizenship, third, third. Or, oh, sorry, third class citizenship. If I could get a scrap from the kids stuff, I'm in good shape. That's awesome. All right, Rachel, uh, last one for you. And then I've got one for both of you. Uh, the best social media post that Roger has ever done, because I know he's hashtag trying. He's an up and comer. I mean, I would say recently his most tragic in his red, white, and blue head to toe suit. We literally, you guys. Sergio Tacchini is guys, amazing. Guys, I grew up in New Jersey. Yeah. The suits were a very real thing for for people in the 80s. But he was in red, white, and blue with a matching red, white, and blue thing so Memorial Day. I was in like a caftan and the kids were in like soft, gauzy neutrals. And he came out looking like he was going to like some kind of parade. So was that your first post? No. Was... Um, I would say the one, yeah, it was because you made this crazy post and you looked like a crazy person. <laughs> so Rachel liked crazy posts. Or yeah. my. The one I love the most was the one he did on um, what just happened? Mother's, Mother's Day. Day. Mother's Day. Mother's Day. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Last question for both of you. Your favorite memory of working together? Boy. I have it. You do? Mm -hmm. What was it? I think we. I, I think like the high, like the funnest time that we had working together. It's like, not covering this better. Well, the but the, the most the, the, the most. And it wasn't really working. We went to Paris to film the TV show. Oh, yeah. And. 2012. 2012. And yep. it was just, we were the staying. Best where, trip were we staying? Ever. where were we staying? Um, at La Maurice. We were staying at the Maurice. We obviously had like this beautiful suite. We we're filming the show and it was like, okay, you're going to Chanel. And we in had the our best friends there. Like we all, Joey was there and like Brian and Jake, Jake. and all our fashion friends. So we were like the filming the show. Ever. So like, so, I don't know. It was just kind of fun call. because like, it was Good just call. fun because like you're in the streets and like people are like, watch, you know, it's it sort of like, so much fun. you're just rolling around Paris, like filming and going to shows and like eating out and just partying. I remember with all our favorite people and, and Skylar was like not even two. So he was at that really great age where you could just take him everywhere. And it was fun. Uh, yeah, I agree. And we were, and I remember us looking at each other being like, we're so lucky that we get to do this together. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yes. Yeah, so I say that to you guys because I think, People ask us so often, like, how do you work together? How do you parent together? And the truth is, there's times I want to literally punch him so hard I could cry. <laughs> um, but I just leave the room at those moments. But then 
Um, but in reality, if you're going to have a partner, who would you want more than the person you trust most in your life and has your back and has your family's back? And, you know, we get to travel together and make our decisions together. So I think the pros really override the cons. And I have, a, even, I have an even greater thesis. Is uh, that Greater. No, like, I agree. Like, right now, work in general, like, think about it. 50 years ago, work was a little less complicated. Like, you went to work, you went home, and then you could have a home life. Now, the reality is, is there is no life. There is no real home life because work is so complicated. Like, you really need to know so much about your field and your industry and be so involved in it and mesh in it. Like, I kind of find it almost harder if your husband and your wife have nothing to do with it. It's like, there's well, such a disconnect. Then your only the only thing you kind of have in common is maybe your kids, and you know maybe you're not that thrilled with your kids anyway. So like, what are you really? <laughs> having fun? My thesis would definitely be different, but yeah. I, I agree, you guys, because we work honestly. We're never not on. We're never yeah. not on. So the reality of it is, it would be much harder if one of us was not like if it wasn't yeah. so at least we're both like last night at 11 it's we were still good. talking about things and, so. and she knows like oh you're working late she's like oh you're working late Roger. it's like we're working late for the for us yeah no yeah. absolutely thanks so much for being on the podcast yeah. we really appreciate it uh, of course we love you guys a big thank you to Rachel and Roger for joining us today on this episode of Influencer Business. If you don't already, follow them on Instagram at Rachel Zoe and at rbermanus, or check out their businesses. The Rachel Zoe Collection, Box of Style, they have a number of amazing businesses, just wonderful people. Also, a big thank you to my co-host, Mary Orton. If you don't already follow her, she's at Mary Orton on Instagram, or you can check out our website, memorandum.com. There were obviously a ton of takeaways from this conversation, too many to, to recap them all here, but I will pull out a few of my favorites. First, I think that people often look at celebrities, athletes, or influencers, or anybody who's achieved a certain level of success, and for whatever reason, they often assume they've kind of been given what they have, or it came naturally. And most of the time, that couldn't be further from the truth. As you've heard from Rachel and Roger, they have been putting in the hard work for more than 30 years, and they're still doing that today. Whether it was Rachel working for next to nothing in New York early in her career, or Roger taking a 10.30 p.m. Zoom call just a few weeks ago with his CFO, they have been working incredibly hard, and they have always worked incredibly hard to get where they are, and they haven't taken their foot off the gas. They're not resting on their laurels, and and that is why they are where they are today. They have put in that work. Second, Rachel shared something that she lives by and that her father taught her. You need to know what you're good at and what you're not good at. Then you have to surround yourself with people who can fill in the gaps. It's not possible to be good at everything. That's just a fact. And that's okay. As an influencer or an entrepreneur, it's incredibly important. You have to have the humility to acknowledge your shortcomings and then actively look for people to pick up the slack. And that's huge. When you can let go of this desire to do everything and be perfect and, and be everything and be perfect at everything, that's when your business can really start to take off. And finally, I would say go back and listen to the distinction that they both draw, both Rachel and Roger draw, between building a brand and accumulating followers. One is much more powerful than the others, and you should be approaching what you do with intention. I think it's incredible advice. So go back, listen to that one again. Um, and always, if you like what you heard on the podcast today, please go leave us that five-star rating. Give us that review. We really do appreciate it, and it certainly does help us out. Thank you again to our sponsor, Shop Style Collective. If you are an influencer or marketer, you should definitely check them out, www.shopstylecollective.com. 
and a big shout out to Pete Crimmie and the team at Sound Lounge for always making us sound better over the podcast than we do in person. And thank you for joining us today on this episode of Influencer Business. I'm your host, Rich Gudlari, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.